You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Reports of Chinese cyber engagement with Indian critical infrastructure... The U.S. government declassifies its report on the murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The SolarWinds supply chain compromise remains under investigation with an intern making a special appearance. Maligned search engine optimizations. Rick Howard shares hash table opinions on Google Cloud. Josh Ray from Accenture on cybercrime and the cloud. And congratulations to the winners of CISA's President's Cup. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 1st, 2021. Threat intelligence firm Recorded Futures Insect Group reports that an apparent Chinese cyber sabotage group they're tracking as Red Echo has been active against India's infrastructure. Red Echo is a new name because, despite some apparent links to other Chinese APTs, identification remains unclear. The group may have been staging potential attacks with a view to holding India's electrical power grid at risk. Recorded Future puts it this way, quote, "...potential pre-positioning of network access to support Chinese strategic objectives." with some attendant speculation about signaling, supportive influence operations, or as a precursor to kinetic escalation. They go on to say, quote, Since early 2020, Recorded Futures Insect Group observed a large increase in suspected targeted intrusion activity against Indian organizations from Chinese state-sponsored groups. From mid-2020 onwards, Recorded Futures' midpoint collection revealed a steep rise in the use of infrastructure tracked as Axiomatica Symptote, which encompasses Shadowpad command and control servers, to target a large swath of India's power sector. Ten distinct Indian power sector organizations, including four of the five regional load dispatch centers responsible for operation of the power grid through balancing electricity supply and demand, have been identified as targets in a concerted campaign against India's critical infrastructure. Other targets identified included two Indian seaports. End quote. Recorded Future does say it expects further such activity as long as Sino-Indian tensions remained high. 
but it's worth noting that recorded futures conclusions are more tentative than those reached by the New York Times and various media outlets in India, and the report should be received in the spirit of relative circumspection in which the researchers seem to have offered it. That cyber-sabotage of a power grid would have great potential for disruption is clear. As Control Global points out, one need look no further than the consequences of the Texas ice storms last month to see the possibilities. Whatever happened in India, the incident would seem to point out the difficulties in deterrence and signaling in cyberspace. If indeed the staging represents an attempt on Beijing's part to signal to India that its power grid is at risk, for example, that signaling would seem to have come at the cost of blowing the means of access to that grid. The U.S. government late Friday released a long-anticipated intelligence report on the murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, declassified by the Director of National Intelligence. The report's executive summary is direct and succinct. Quote, We assess that Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman approved an operation in Istanbul, Turkey, to capture or kill Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. We base this assessment on the Crown Prince's control of decision-making in the kingdom, the direct involvement of a key advisor and members of Mohammed bin Salman's protective detail in the operation, and the Crown Prince's support for using violent measures to silence dissidents abroad, including Khashoggi. Since 2017, the Crown Prince has had absolute control of the kingdom's security and intelligence organizations, making it highly unlikely that Saudi officials would have carried out an operation of this nature without the Crown Prince's authorization. As one would expect, the report frames its conclusions largely in terms of a priori probability and takes care not to reveal intelligence sources and methods— but it was widely believed at the time that U.S. intelligence services had collected signals and cyber intelligence that pointed to the direct involvement of Saudi intelligence services in the murder. The Washington Post reports that the Biden administration will not impose direct sanctions on the Saudi crown prince. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said at a news conference that, quote, the relationship with Saudi Arabia is bigger than any one individual, end quote, and that appears to be the way the administration stands with the crown prince, at least even as it discusses a recalibration, that's recalibration, not, as the State Department stresses, a rupture of relations with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. According to Politico, the State Department did impose more than 70 visa restrictions on other persons involved in the killing, and the Treasury Department announced sanctions against the former deputy head of Saudi intelligence services, and on members of the group deemed responsible for Khashoggi's murder. The White House is facing some pressure from congressional Democrats, in particular the Washington Post reports, to take more direct action against Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The effects of the SolarWinds supply chain compromise continue to spread through U.S. government agencies. Wired writes that the metaphorical body count now includes NASA and the FAA. So how did all this happen in the first place? Investigation continues, and current and former SolarWinds executives are blaming an intern for setting up the now-famous bad password, SolarWinds123, which CNN reports was out loose on the Internet for several years before it was detected. Sure, it's a bad password, but that finding a password would have been sufficient to give the sort of access necessary to the whole shebang of a major supply chain compromise 
seems surprising. Still, bad password, and apparently some weak supervision of that intern. Sophos describes the Goot Loader Infection Framework, which is not only expanding its payloads, but using a novel approach to search engine optimization to bring its criminal bait to the attention of potential victims. The payloads currently being served up by Goot Loader include the GootKit Banking Trojan, Kronos, Cobalt Strike, and Our Evil Ransomware. And finally, late Friday, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency announced the winner of its President's Cup Cybersecurity Competition. Congratulations to the cyberspace capability engineers from the 780th Military Intelligence Brigade who took this year's honors. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's Chief Security Officer, also our Chief Analyst. But more important than any of that, he is the host of the CSO Perspectives podcast, which is part <laughs> of CyberWire Pro. Uh, Rick, this week you are concluding a two-part mini-series on securing the Google Cloud platform. And I know you've been talking to our hash table members about GCP. Where do we stand when it comes to folks preferring Google Cloud over the other two big providers like Amazon and Microsoft? Well, you know, Dave, you would think that question would be simple to answer, wouldn't you? you know? <laughs> well, <Uh-oh. laughs> as with all things security, and I guess most things in general, it isn't. And by the way, when I was in the Army back when, you know, muzzle-loading muskets were what the cool kids had, mm-hmm. um, in one unit, we gave memento plaques to all the departing soldiers, and, and one we gave one to everybody. And we put these engraved words in Latin. Here it is. You ready? Nihil facala s, and roughly translated, nothing is easy. All right, and that's <laughs> that's sort of the <laughs> wow, so upbeat. <laughs> yeah, you know, it wasn't a great unit. What could I say? Um, okay. <laughs> so that's the case when we're trying to decide uh, how we, where do we want to deploy, you know, our workloads in the the cloud. And to a person, all of the CyberWire's hash table members were intrigued by the way Google had implemented zero trust with their beyond core architecture. But the only member that is actually trying it is my old friend, Bob Turner, the CISO for the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Hmm. So are, are they all in there? Or are they putting their, the crown jewel workloads into uh, GCP or are they just doing a little dabbling? I would split the difference there. Okay, Bob doesn't have his crown jewels in there because like most of the other hash table members, he's using AWS for workloads and Office 365 for email and, you know, other things. But he got the opportunity to play with GCP when his university joined a group research project with other universities, and that project is using GCP. So Hmm. in this episode, we talked with Bob about what he likes and dislikes about the Google Cloud environment and the journey his university went on to get there. But if you're looking for the more compelling reason to listen to this episode, you're, you're going to want to listen to Bob's Midwestern sense of humor because he defined some new words for me that I'd never heard of. I'm going to give you three. Go on. Conditions of weirdness or cow for short. Let that sink right. in. Okay, After I love all, it. All right. Yes. <laughs> he's from Wisconsin, the dairy capital of the world. So that's where that comes from. Uh-huh. Uh, cyber shenanigans, which I really like, but my new favorite security phrase of all time is cyber cow tipping. Yes, that's a thing. 
And to find out what it means, you two will have to uh, check exactly. out the latest episode of CSO Perspectives. It's part of CyberWire Pro. You can find it on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Josh Ray. He is a managing director and also the global cyber defense lead at Accenture. Josh, it's great to have you back. I wanted to touch base with you today about the report that you all recently put out. This is the Accenture Threat Intelligence Report. Uh, Specifically, some of the areas in that report that are focused on cybercrime and the cloud. What can you share with us today? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, Accenture uh, Cyber Threat Intelligence Team actually just completed a two-year series of research where they were really looking at deep and dark web activity of actors targeting organizations uh, in the cloud. And it might be a big surprise to, to your viewers, but one of the most common ways that actors are actually uh, getting access to cloud environments is through system misconfiguration and publicly known unpatched uh, vulnerabilities. So, you know, hygiene comes back again uh, as, it, as much as it does on traditional IT infrastructure as it does your cloud estate. You know, I, I think the, the thing that always uh, gathers attention in the press are when folks leave, you know, for example, their AWS buckets uh, just hanging out there, you know, open to to everyone to view. Is that is that sort of an edge case that attracts the most attention? But how, how I guess I'm trying to figure out how prevalent is that? Is that the, the rare thing that attracts a lot of attention or or is that a, a cons- an ongoing concern for people? I would say it's an ongoing concern, right? I mean... You know, we've seen actually massive amount of API key and credential theft exploited accounts uh, that have been take o- taken over that are being sold for access, but also insider threats. Uh, so, you know, actors that are actively peddling, you know, access to, you know, their, their corporate infrastructure, uh, unfortunately, as well. What are some of the specific things that folks need to worry about as they continue this, this sort of ongoing transition to the cloud? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I mean, so you know, obviously the data that's that's there is is an attractive target, especially for ransomware gangs uh, who are looking to extort their their victims. But 
You know, we help clients securely migrate to the cloud all the time. But what they have to understand is that the journey really doesn't end there. And once you get there, you still have to defend it. You have to treat it as that, you know, just the other part of your, your business that you need to look after. And this, you know, means doing things like patching and ensuring that, you know, the native security controls are, are configured and applied correctly. But, you know, one of the things that we really try to uh, stress is that you can't stop there, right? You have to conduct that Intel-driven red team exercises and hunts, and you have to have folks that conduct those really proper IR investigations uh, in the cloud. And, uh, hmm. you know, Dave, I, I've seen, you know, really just a lot of examples where, uh, you know, a, a client's cloud estate, unfortunately, is a visibility blind spot for them. So, you know, one of the things that we're really focused on is, is making sure that, you know, they have that proper logging enabled. But this is also, you know, important to include their application security logs, right? And when they're doing that monitoring, um, they're actually applying the right level of threat and intelligence use cases so they can really focus on on what's important to the business. How do you help people manage their threat intelligence feeds, you know, to, to keep it from being just that, that kind of overwhelming fire hose of information? How, how can they dial it in? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great question. I mean, properly operationalizing your threat intelligence is one of the things that I think a lot of organizations struggle with. And the first thing that they do is they talk about it as a threat intelligence feed when it should be looked at as really an extension of the capability. But it also should be something that you have, you know, a high degree of confidence and trust in. So you really want to think about, you know, understanding strategically what your threat exposure is, what types of uh, threats are going to try to target you, what are the TTPs that are being employed by those threats? And then how does that trickle down operationally to, you know, the right types of security controls and then the right types of tactical I- IOCs or other type of vulnerability intelligence that you need to, um, you know, to help your operators apply that intelligence, you know, most effectively. So it, we really have to be able to look at it at different governance levels and, and take a, a very focused uh, requirement driven look at what your organization needs to protect itself best against the threats that are going to impact it the most. How about the, the cloud providers themselves? I mean, are they are, are they evolving the way that their own tools work, the way their interfaces work to try to to help people along with this to make it easier as they learn where the the common sort of blind spots are? Uh, yeah, I think they are. I mean, especially with a lot of the cloud providers that that we work with uh pretty frequently. I mean, look, I think every platform or, or even product owner is, you know, continuing to take um, active steps and active measures to incorporate the latest and greatest. But, you know, you really have to think about in order to maximize um, that investment, you, you really do need to have um, folks that, you know, understand how to apply that uh, product or platform and those controls in, in the most operational Manner and they're able to kind of continually tweak those controls based on you know the latest threat intelligence. So it's not just a, a one and done type of uh, evolution. It's a it's a continuous type of process that folks have to understand as a, they have to undertake. All right. Well, Josh Ray, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. 
And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. A taste of life. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast where I contribute to a regular segment called Security, Ha. Huh? I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence. And every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.